Let's pray. Father, we hear in your word that your word is manna to our souls. We pray that that would be true this morning, that we would leave here refreshed by the gospel of grace as it comes to us from your scriptures. Teach us, Lord, this morning in the power of your Holy Spirit, for Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our scripture lesson this morning is Mark chapter 6, verses 30 through 56. And you'll find that on page 841 and 842 of the Pew Bible. It's a very familiar passage this morning. The feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on water. And uh, we want to see some rich treasures about our Lord Jesus in it. Read with me, beginning in Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to, the, to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, he meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land at Gennesaret and moored at the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to break this, bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as it touched it 
were made well. Well, in his book, A Walk in the Woods, Bill Bryson speaks about some of the more ridiculous rescue requests by novice hikers on the Appalachian Trail. And he mentions several that occurred in the state of Maine, the northernmost point of the Appalachian Trail, uh, all in the space of just a few days. The first was a man who called the National Guard and he asked them to send a rescue helicopter to lift him off the mountain because he was a little tired. Then there were two men who called uh, the mountain patrol and demanded that a rescue team come and carry them off the mountain, even though there was still four hours of daylight left. And then finally, there was a man who called for a rescue helicopter because he was hiking a little slowly and wasn't sure that he was going to make it to his business meeting on time. And so he needed a helicopter to come and rescue him. Now, none of these people knew what it meant to be in real trouble. Most of them were novice hikers who felt that they had so much confidence in their cell phones, in their GPS devices, and certainly in the National Guard, that if they did get into any trouble, someone would be there to save them. But they don't really know what it means to be in real trouble. And so they didn't really understand what they needed to be rescued from. They didn't need to be rescued from being a little bit tired They needed to be rescued from their sense of self-sufficiency that thought, well, I can go out on this hike and I can complete it. Even though they had no business actually being out there. You see, we all have a sense of self-sufficiency as well. And actually, that's one of the things that Jesus wants to save us from is our sense of self-sufficiency that makes us think, well, I can do that. I can go there. I can handle that particular situation. Now, in these two accounts here that we see with Jesus, both the crowd and the 12 disciples end up being rescued. Yet neither one of them really understood what they needed to be rescued from. And Jesus here wants to rescue them not simply from their hardships, being hungry, being thirsty, being in a boat in the middle of the storm, But he wants to rescue them from their sense of being self-sufficient. See, we often wear that sort of like an outer garment and it's really visible to everybody. Maybe we think we're hiding it, but there's a sense where we're self-sufficient and everybody else can see it. And Jesus sees it clearly. He sees it in the disciples and he sees it in the crowd. We we see this ourselves in the way that Mark records this event of the feeding of of the 5,000. Jesus has been teaching them. It's getting late. And so because of that, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place. The hour is now late. There are 5,000 men, maybe 5,000 more women and children, 10,000 people. So they want Jesus to send them away to go to the villages to buy themselves something to eat. And in that, the disciples reveal a little bit of how they understand humanity, of how they understand the relationship between humanity and God. Let them buy themselves something to eat. They must take care of themselves. We have nothing to offer them. And so Jesus is going to show the disciples and he's going to show the crowd here their need of him as a shepherd 
as a savior. And that's what he reveals to them, their sense of self-sufficiency. And so Jesus teaches several lessons here. One is our need of a shepherd to care for us. The disciples were told uh, in verse 30, they returned to Jesus. You remember they've been sent out on a mission to proclaim the kingdom of God, to reveal the Lord Jesus to the towns and the villages around them. And they're returning now. They're tired. They need rest. And Jesus recognizes that. And so he wants to take them aside for a while to relieve them from the hostile environment that is all around them, the, the rejection of Jesus, the hostility towards Christ and his claims. And his focus here is on the 12. He wants to shepherd them. He wants to care for them. He wants to make sure that their needs are tended to. And yet there's this crowd that just keeps following Jesus everywhere. And they follow Jesus all the way to the other side of the lake. And here we're told that the, cr the crowds look like a flock of sheep to Jesus. These masses in desperation. We're told at the end of this passage in verses 53 down to 56 that people throughout the countryside are, are bringing their sick to Jesus. They're wanting just to be able to touch his robe. And those who do are healed. And what we see in this crowd is a little bit of ourselves as we recognize just how much they need a shepherd and just how much we need a shepherd. And we're told here in verse 34, Jesus went ashore. He saw the great crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're hungry. They're unprotected. And Jesus cares for them. But one thing that Mark doesn't record for us that John actually records for us is the reaction of the people. We're not told here in Mark what the people do after Jesus feeds them. But what it's told to us in John chapter 6 after the feeding of the 5,000 is that the people continue to follow Jesus simply because they ate bread and they were satisfied. They saw this shallow salvation, something that was temporary, something that could satisfy for a moment, but they would have to keep coming back for more physical bread. And you and I oftentimes are like the crowd. We see a, a marginal level of our need for a shepherd, a slight understanding of what a real rescue is, someone to give us a little bit of help right now, maybe someone to give us a little bit of advice to make a particular decision, decision, someone who can give us a little bit of an emotional boost or a, even a spiritual pep talk at a particular time when we need it most. A little bit of affirmation now and then. A little bit of financial assistance now and then. A shot in the arm to our business. Maybe a little bit of help with our family relationships. But you see, we're, we're part of a culture and we're part of a part of a people that's given to this kind of rugged individualism where we think we can do it ourselves. We want to build our businesses ourselves. We want to establish a reputation for ourselves. We want to even be successful Christians by trusting in ourselves and working hard to achieve that. And it scares the heck out of us to think we might be out of control in life. Life might be out of our domain, out of our control one of the reasons that tragedies sometimes hit us so hardly not because 
just simply the pain involved, but it also reveals to us that we're not in control of life. That there are things and circumstances that are far beyond our control. And we're short-sighted in our need for a shepherd because of our sense of self-sufficiency. And we really see very uh, unclearly our desperate need of a shepherd. And so why do we need a shepherd? Well, like the crowd, we're lost, we're unprotected, we're, we're starving. Think of some of the big decisions that you have to make. And sometimes you make very poor and unwise decisions. Sometimes we have a, a sense of being lost in life, of wondering, what is this life all about anyway? Where am I going? Where am I headed? Can anybody give me some real clear answers out there? Sometimes we're just sort of wandering aimlessly in life, not even sure where we're going. We're overwhelmed by our circumstances. We make a mess of relationships. If people saw what went on behind closed doors in our life, they too would see that we make a mess out of our lives and make a mess out of our relationships with one another. Our poor parenting, our living for things that will fill our soul, things other than God. But I think the most subtle thing, what is so subtle about our sense of self-sufficiency is this, is that we as Christians often want to live the Christian life as if we can work ourselves out of a need of a shepherd. And we have fooled ourselves. We look at all those struggles that we have and we think, well, I can handle that. And even in the Christian life, we often give ourselves to thinking, well, well, I can do this. I can, I can work harder. I can just read a few more books. Maybe you're one of those kinds of people. Now, I'm not against reading books. We just bought quite a few books for our library, and I've encouraged you to read them. But there's a disposition that says, wow, there's that next new book out there. And if I haven't read it yet, maybe, maybe I'm a little bit behind. And I just need to go get that read it, and then I'll be a little bit better as a Christian. You see, what that is, is that sense of self-sufficiency where I say, I can live the Christian life all by myself. There are other things too. There, there are accountability groups that we give ourselves to, which can be a fine thing. But they can be a way in which we can say, well, if people just keep me a little bit accountable, I'll be just fine. I'll keep my nose clean. And I'll be okay. We're fool ourselves into thinking we're self-sufficient in the Christian life. We think we can conquer our sin till something else comes along and smacks us upside the face and we realize that we can't. Maybe you're the, the Christian that likes to be extremely organized. And you think, if I could just be the, the organized Christian, I've got everything together. I've got all the books in the right place. I've got all the right ones on the shelf. I've got my schedule for my quiet time and my prayer life. I've got all my volunteering scheduled out here and I'm going to keep everything under control. And you see, we end up fooling ourselves into thinking, I don't really need a shepherd because I can live the Christian life all by myself. The reality is that the saints in Scripture and the saints throughout the ages that were the most mature are the saints that realized their great need of a shepherd. You think of Moses. You think of David. 
think of the Apostle Paul. And maturity for them looked like growing in greater dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, without a shepherd, we're going to wander. And we're going to find ourselves in desolate places. We're going to find ourselves where we're spiritually hungry and we're wondering, how did I get here? I've relied so much upon my works. I've tried so hard to be a good Christian. And what I've found is that now my soul is just dried up. And there doesn't seem to be anything left. It's because you tried to live your Christian life without a shepherd. And so Jesus reveals to us here through Mark our great need of a shepherd. But he also tells us this. He tells us about the shepherd that we actually need. He tells us about the shepherd we actually need. Jesus reveals himself here to be the great shepherd. He feeds the crowd physically. He feeds the crowd spiritually by teaching them. And what was he like as a shepherd? What's his character? I think we see a couple of things here. One, we see his compassion. We're told in verse 34 that he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion upon them. He was willing to do whatever it took to care for them. You know, there are many shepherds in life. There are lots of people who would leave. There are lots of people who want to sell us on a particular version of life. The next best product to have. The next way to live your life. Everybody's selling something. We've got all, all got ideas about the best way to live life. And in that, we, we find that there are many shepherds in life. There are parents. There are friends. There are teachers. There are coaches. And many of them are good shepherds. But not all of them are good shepherds. None of them have the sense of compassion that Jesus has as the good shepherd. Here we see this crowd of people and we wonder, well, who's been shepherding them? Well, the priests were called to shepherd the people of God, weren't they? And yet they had failed. What about King Herod? We saw him last week. What's he doing? He's throwing a great party and getting drunk with his friends and, by the way, killing John the Baptist. He was to rule over them and be a good shepherd. What about the Roman army? The Roman Empire who's now occupying the land of uh, Canaan. Are they good shepherds? Taking from the people? Abusing the people at times? Jesus looks upon them with compassion because they were sheep without a good shepherd. Without a good shepherd. And the, the disciples are not much better. When they look at the people, what do they say? Send them away, Jesus. That they could go buy some food for them. Jesus says, no. Why send them away? I'm the shepherd that they need. Bring them to me. You see, Jesus has infinite resources of compassion. He's just learned that his cousin... And great friend John the Baptist has been killed. He's experienced all kinds of resistance from various corners. He is exhausted. And yet, what is he doing? He's still showing compassion. Some of you know what it's like to be a caregiver. You love the ones that you care for. You serve them. And yet, you know the limitations that you have within your own heart. 
limits of your compassion, the limits of your patience, the limits of even your energy to, to keep going and to keep serving. My friends, Jesus has infinite resources of compassion. We even see Him going to the Father here. After He feeds the 5,000, he, he sends away the disciples and He goes up on a mountain and He prays. Why? Because He's the Son of God and He wants fellowship with His Father. But even more than that, He's still a man. And He needs the resources of the Heavenly Father through the power of the Spirit so that He can continue to press on and show compassion to those who would distort His message, to those who would abuse Him, to those who would reject Him, to those who actually hate Him. And He needs the resources of His Heavenly Father. And so He spends Himself in prayer. Why? So that compassion towards His people doesn't turn into self-exaltation. Because what John actually tells us is that when he gets done feeding the 5,000, they want to make him an earthly king. Oh, what a temptation that would be. In a time when you're tired, you're worn out, people have been rejecting you, and now here's a crowd who wants to crown you as king. You see, he needs further compassion that he would not settle for an earthly kingdom, but go on to the cross and die for his people. To build an eternal kingdom. My friends, Jesus has compassion as a shepherd that you and I desperately need and you and I do not have. And no one in this world would have for us. But it's not just compassion. He has power too. The disciples bring to Him this group of five loaves and two fish. And what does Jesus do? He turns it into a feast. And he feeds approximately 10,000 people in one setting. Compassion without power is useless. Jesus has both of those things. He has compassion. He has goodness. He has this desire to bless. And he has the power to do it. He has the power to go on to the cross. To absorb all of the punishment. And then one day be raised from the dead so that you and I could go free. Free from all the condemnation of our sin. And here Jesus is picturing both His compassion and His great power as the good shepherd of His sheep. And I think Mark gives us a couple of subtle hints here that what Jesus is doing is taking upon Himself the mantle of Psalm 23 that we've already read this morning together. For the Lord is our shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Here Jesus tells the people, sit down in the green grass. Why? So that He might feed them. and He might restore their souls. Friends, how does your soul need to be restored today? What is it about your soul on the inside where you just feel a sense of anxiety or aching, fear, a bondage to doubt and skepticism, a wondering, who loves me? Is there anybody there for me? 
and your soul feels a little bit empty and a little bit dried up and you almost feel like you can't go on another step. What about your soul needs to be restored and refreshed? And who do you go to? Who do you go to? Do you go to the news? Do you go to bloggers? Do you turn to your own heart? Do you listen to friends? Is it the media? Who is your shepherd? Jesus, I'm the only good shepherd there is. Come to me. Come to me. We are to turn to Christ as the good shepherd. No one else will shepherd you like Jesus. Not your pastor. Not your elders. Not your deacons. Not your parents. Not your best friend. Not your spouse. No one will shepherd you like the Lord Jesus. Where do you place your hope? Where do you go to? Where do you find rest? Who leads you beside still waters? Who puts you down in green grass? And who restores your soul? My friends, there's no one else but Jesus. A friend of mine who's a minister told me about an electrician who came to his church one week and he was fixing something in the church building. And he had a conversation with this man and began to share the gospel with him. And this electrician said, you know what? My sins are too great. My sins are too great for Jesus to handle. He would never accept me. And my friend, the pastor said, well, you know what? You want to know what's really sinful? He said, you're going to hell because you reject Jesus. And I really don't care. The electrician just looked at him and said, yeah, no, that's really bad. My friends, not your pastor, not your spouse, nobody has compassion for you and power for you that you really need. Only Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the only one who has compassion to enter into your struggles. He's the only one who has compassion and power to overcome your temptations. He's the only one who has power to lead you into wisdom He's the only one who can protect you at times by saying no to you. Don't go there. By overseeing your life and leading you into the places where you desperately need to go to learn more about Him. He is the only one who could shepherd your soul and one day bring you into glory. So we need to follow the voice of the Good Shepherd. Well, finally, not only does He tell us and reveal our need of a shepherd and reveal himself to us. But finally, what we see Mark telling us is about the, sh- the under shepherds that Jesus creates. The under shepherds that Jesus creates. Here, the disciples are the ones who are actually called to feed the people. You go and feed them. You give them something to eat, Jesus says. And the disciples are overwhelmed. They ask this question, shall we go and buy 200 denarii, that's 200 days wages, worth of food. How can we possibly do that? They're overwhelmed and they know that they can't do it. Now hold that thought because Mark then goes on to Jesus walking on the water. And the question is, why does he do that? He moves from this scene of feeding the the multitude here to Jesus now ushering his disciples across the lake in the boat 
And what we see is Jesus going up to pray. The disciples are struggling against the storm. It's sunset when they leave. And it's the fourth watch of the night when Jesus comes. That's between 3 and 6 a.m. according to the Roman way of keeping time. What that means is that they've been struggling against this storm for nine or ten hours. And the Gospel of John tells us they've only made it three miles. This is a great storm that's coming against them. Now why does Jesus do this? The most often given explanation for this uh, story about Jesus walking on the water is simply that Jesus can come into the storms of our lives and calm them, just like he calmed the storm in the disciples' life. Well, that's certainly true. Sometimes he actually leads us into the storms, as we've seen before earlier in the Gospel of Mark. But I think there's something else here that we need to understand that uh, contacts, uh, connects, uh, excuse me, the, the walking on water by Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000. Because that's, after all, the context. And we're actually told here, after Jesus gets into the boat with them, that they were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. Mark is connecting Jesus walking on water with the feeding of the 5,000. Now, what could be the connection? Well, the disciples are tired. They think they've seen a ghost. They're crying out, and Jesus says, Take heart, it is I. Literally, I am. And you know this, Jesus has taken upon His own lips the self-designation of God. Yahweh. I am who I am. In other words, there's not a name that can define me. I can't be reduced to one character trait in a particular name. Oftentimes what God does in the Old Testament is say, I am, and give another tag name. El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's saying, this is one character trait about me. My name cannot summarize everything, but I am this particular thing. Jesus does the same thing in the Gospels. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And Jesus is saying here, I am. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Because only God Almighty can walk on water. And notice one other little detail. Mark tells us that Jesus had the intention of passing them by. Now that sounds odd, doesn't it? Jesus is walking on the water. The disciples are straining and rowing against the storm. Jesus intends to walk on by. Why is that? Well, you see, in the Old Testament, that's a phrase referring to God. You remember when God put Moses in the cleft of the rock and he hid his eyes and he said, I will pass by you and my glory will pass by you. Or when Elijah was afraid because he was doing battle against King Ahab and Jezebel. And God said, I will pass by you. And what's Jesus doing? He's intending to pass by to say, I am. I am God Almighty. And there is no one else like me. They had not learned the lesson with the feeding of the 5,000 that Jesus could take five loaves and two fish and feed 10,000 people. And so He shows them yet again 
by walking on the water. I am God Almighty. Why did they need to know that? Because you see, they'll be called to be under shepherds too. You remember Jesus' words to Peter at the end of the Gospel of John? Feed my sheep. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And they're going to need the resources of God Almighty to be able to feed God's sheep and lead God's sheep. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing. The disciples here are finding out, as, this, as the hymn writer says, the greatness of our Savior. The lesson is that Jesus does have the power and the compassion to save. The disciples fail to understand that, but now they're grasping it more and more. And He teaches the lesson again when He gets out of the boat and heals all the people from the various villages. As if to say to the disciples, now one day you'll be a shepherd too. And you'll be a dispenser of my grace, of my compassion, and of my power. And friends, that's what you and I are. If we know Jesus, we are dispensers, not of our own power, not of our own compassion, not of our own grace. We're dispensers of those things that belong to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever seen a Roman aqueduct. I remember traveling by train through Europe and going across the countryside of Spain. And there's this massive wall across with these great archways. An aqueduct that would carry water across long spanses and bring it to people who were desperately in need of it. You and I are not the water that flows through the aqueduct. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus. We're not even the channel. We're like all the many arches and uh, pillars that uphold that arch so that the grace of Jesus can flow over us and into the lives of other people. And so Jesus tells His disciples, you give them something to eat. And in a way, He's telling us the same thing. Freely you have been given. Freely you give. You go feed them. You go give them something to eat. We're dispensers of the grace and the mercy of God. And what we need to know is that Jesus has the power and the compassion to establish the work of our hands. That He would multiply what we do. I have a friend who was converted a number of years ago right here at Bon Clarken in Flat Rock. He was a young man who had found himself at Camp Joy as a counselor. Camp Joy is a camp for mentally handicapped adults and he was a counselor there taking care of one of the campers. He was there because he was a juvenile delinquent. He had been caught stealing one more time. And the judge commissioned him to, or sentenced him to community service and his community service was to come here to Camp Joy and to take care of somebody else. And all week long, his camper would say to Joe, Joe, Jesus loves you. And Joe would at times feel ashamed. He would do his best to take care of his camper, know that he was failing. And his camper would again say, Joe, Jesus loves you. And he heard it again and again and again. Until the end of the week, he almost couldn't take it anymore. And he just bowed before Jesus. 
He said, Lord Jesus, please forgive me. Forgive me for who I am. Do you see? That through the lips of one such as that, saying, Joe, Jesus loves you. Christ can bring compassion and all the powers of heaven into this world to save a sinner. My friends, so often as we think about our own personal ministry in the world, we are comfortable doing things that we have power to do, that we have compassion to exercise. What Jesus is telling us today is your ministry needs to be greater than that. It needs to be beyond your level of compassion. It needs to be beyond your level of power because it needs to be done in dependence upon me and not in dependence upon yourselves. See, Jesus is displaying His surpassing power and glory by feeding the multitude and by walking on water. And if He would do that with His disciples, He's saying to us as well, now you go to impossible situations too. And you know that I'm with you. And I'll be the one to give you the resources that you need. And over time, I think our instincts will grow to be like the Lord Jesus who, when He was about to feed the multitude, He looked up to heaven. He looked up to heaven. And He asked of the Father. So that you and I, when we're in impossible ministry situations, we don't look at our own resources. We don't look and say, I can't do that. And we shrink back. But rather we look up to heaven and we say, God Almighty, give me the grace. Give me the compassion. Give me the power to do this. Because I can't do it myself. Ministry needs to be beyond us. Because you see, if we're addressing small needs all the time, needs that we can handle, then there's very little glory for God and lots of glory for us. Jesus says, now you let me be the good shepherd and you be dispensers of my grace and mercy. And in that you have a greater understanding of what it means to come under the good shepherd yourself. To live your Christian life in dependence upon Him Trust in His grace and mercy and not in yourself. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we recognize that we're often put in situations where we're made to see our need of a good shepherd. Lord, we pray for eyes to see it. We pray that our consciences would not be seared. We ask that You would help us to see just how much we need Jesus. Lord, we also know that we're in ministry situations at times that are too far beyond us. There are financial needs, there are counseling needs, there are evangelism needs, there are needs of caring for the hungry and the hurting, and we cannot meet those needs. And we need Jesus to be the Good Shepherd. Lord, we recognize there are seasons of life we go through when we need the tender mercies of the Shepherd more than others. But most of the time, Lord, if we turn to You, if we trust You, You give us all that we need to minister to others. Help us to be good under-shepherds by trusting in You. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.